0: Um, Christmas music I love Christmas songs my son has a new devotion to Christmas music everywhere he goes he's setting the dials turning it up moving it around we've heard everything from we've heard everything from the chipmunks to Mariah Carey Ugh. and um, we just it just that Christmas music just plays and plays and plays and plays but gotta enjoy the uh, enjoy the Christmas spirit amen but it's all about what, the, what that group just sang. Emmanuel, God is with us, and that's really the, been the theme of the series of messages. So take your Bibles and once again, for week number three, go to the Gospel of John, chapter number one. We'll be in John's Gospel, chapter number one, and as you turn there, remember our theme verse is verse number fourteen. So some years as we look at Christmas, we really focus in on the events of the birth of Christ. And in fact, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, they introduce us to Jesus as, through the genealogies, through the prophecies and genealogies. Then they introduce us to the characters of the Christmas story, and they focus on the events and the circumstances, circumstances which is wonderful. The Gospel of John introduces Jesus not in the manger and not in a genealogy, but in his eternal genealogy, the only begotten of the Father, the eternal one. And so this Christmas season, we've been focusing on this identity of Jesus and particularly the glory of Jesus. So let's read our theme verse together, John 1 and verse number 14. If you'd read that verse with me out loud together, begin. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Could you say that line again, ready? And we beheld his glory. Wow, once more. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We've talked about glory, and remember, our first week, we spoke about what glory is. And glory is what we experience. It's, it's better experienced than it is explained. It's, it's like when we walk outside on a beautiful day and see a sunrise, or we look at the sunset, or we're overwhelmed by a mountain's majesty. We just soak it all in, and we enjoy, and we bask in the glory. And we're reminded that when we look at Jesus, when we study Jesus for who He is, He is all-glorious, and He is wonder and so then we're looked at we looking at some specific aspects of it. And so last week we looked at, we beheld his love. We looked at the heart of God for us and that God displayed in the person of Jesus, Jesus is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, that when we see Jesus, we behold the glory of the love of God. Now, if love is what God feels for us, and today as we look at grace, grace is that love in action. Grace is love demonstrated. Grace is, is God saying, yes, my heart for you is love. Now let me show you how much I love you. Isn't that what uh, Christmas is an experience for our families as we lavish with gifts? and And I know there's some of you out there like, well, I don't want to spoil my kids on Christmas, so they get a book and a piece of fruit. And I don't know if anybody out there is like that, but um, you guys over there, all right. <laughs> so I think the hair, I've seen the, the hair toys in their house, so I know that's not true. Um, yeah, there's that one attitude, but you know what? There's another side of the coin, and Christmas could also be a great opportunity for us to show our children that God lavishes his grace and his good gifts on us. And he's not stingy. He's not miserly. He pours out his goodness. Now, I'm not saying go max out your credit card for Christmas. You know, there's a a balance here. I think you know what I'm saying. But we think about the lavish grace of Jesus, that, that God loved us so much and he showed it The depth of his love is seen in the magnitude of his grace toward us. And so that's what I want to focus on for a few minutes this morning. You notice there in our theme verse, it said that he was full of grace and truth. Let's pray. We'll ask God to help us as we look at this topic this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for what we've just spoken about, Lord, your great love. Lord, we thank you for your abundant grace. And so I pray that in the next few minutes as we study the scriptures, but I just pray that our hearts and our minds would be open. Lord, I pray that it would be you who meets with us this morning in a real and in a special way. I pray that each person would receive exactly what you intend for them this morning from your word. So help us to be free of distraction. Help us to be completely focused on the word of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a couple of things about grace, and I'm speaking to a crowd that probably most of you have a pretty good understanding of what grace is, but two things that you have to remember as we come into this, and this will unfold. In order for grace to be grace, it is something that is completely undeserved, right? By definition, grace must be completely undeserved. You see, because if, if otherwise, if it's something I've deserved, it's not grace, it's reward, right? I've earned a reward, but grace is completely undeserved. And then secondly, grace is always completely free. It is free and undeserved favor from God to you and me. That's grace. So let's add a few verses of context this morning. To our theme verse. All right, look look with me again. We're going to zero in on verse number fourteen, and I want to go down to verses sixteen and seventeen, and I want to show you where we're going to end up today. You ready? Ready. Here we go. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And the first phrase I want us to look at this morning is this phrase: full of grace. Full of grace. You say, well, what about the truth? Don't worry, we'll, we'll come to that, okay? I want to just look at this, though. Full of grace. Let's, let's read on. It's full of grace and truth. Now, down to verse number 16. And of his fullness, so he's expounding on this idea of fullness, and of his fullness have we all received and, now this is second statement I want us to zero in on this one. Could you say this next one with me? And What? Grace for grace. So full of grace. Grace for grace. And now verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but... Now put them together. Ready? But what? Grace and truth. Full of grace. Grace for grace. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I want to show you is there is a lot packed in... To this short statement. And what, what I'm going to do today is I'm not going to just stay in this passage, though we're going to keep coming back to it. Because the Apostle John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is introducing us to a key. I mean, this is, remember, John wrote this first chapter. The Holy Spirit gave him the words to write in John chapter 1. This is, the, this is John saying, let me tell you what Jesus is all about. Let me tell you about Jesus. And so, in the heart of chapter one, there's so much. We could spend, we could probably spend a whole year in John chapter one. But what he does here in just these few verses is he he introduces us to the topic of the grace of God. So, let's look at the first theme, full of grace. He is full of grace. And as I thought about this, I thought of the question, where does grace come from? When he says he is full of grace, where do we find grace? grace. Well, of course, we find grace in Jesus Christ. Think about what we read in verse number 17. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Where did grace come from? It came from Jesus. There is, listen, this will, I'll, I'll state this again in a minute, but it's important for us to realize there is no grace in this universe apart from Jesus Christ. There is no grace without Jesus. Let me give you another passage of Scripture to think about this morning as we talk about this. And I want you to think about th- that statement, there is no grace outside of Jesus. In fact, before we get to Colossians, in fact, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, the operating system of this world is not a system of grace, is it? Where do you find grace? Grace outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you find grace in your workplace? Well, you might find glimpses of grace here and there, right? Like God, we are created in God's image, so even even those who are not born again can still exhibit some of that, that identity of being created in God's image. So you can see glimpses of grace all around, but you can't find perfect and true grace because the operating system of the world is this, you do for me, and I will do for you. What goes around comes around. Also known popularly today as. Car- oh, somebody said it. Who, who, who was saying it? Micah? Karma. More and more people in this world are are believing in an Eastern concept of karma, which is basically, it's actually a very astute observation because that is the prevailing system of our world. It's not a grace system. It's a karma system that says put in all your effort at work and probably some of that effort is going to come back at you. So you certainly don't find perfect grace in the workplace. Do you find it in the family? well you should in the christian home but even in the best of families do they always operate by grace not the kind of grace we're talking about not truly undeserved grace because let's be honest i love my wife very very much but she has she deserves a lot of that love you know her and you know me she does deserve my love right amen but you know what i'm saying you know what i mean by that like the point is that that my wife has. She she cares for me. She cares for our children. She uh, she's a professional. She has talents and abilities. She brings so much to our home. It's grace. But you take a home that's that's not like that. Let's say the one spouse isn't putting anything in at all. You won't find always a lot of grace in a situation like that, because even sometimes, sadly, our family economies don't run on grace. Are you with me? You know what I'm saying? The system of this world is not a system of grace. You don't find a lot of grace in the workplace. You can, but you don't always find a lot of grace in the home. What about in the church? Would you say that a little louder? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Some more than others. We talked about this a few weeks ago, too. This ought to be a grace place, right? But we don't always How about, let's take it out of the church, because you're probably thinking of our local church and the grace that you've seen here. But what about an organized religion? Is that a place of a lot of grace? No, it's not. It's certainly not a place. Because the system of this world is not a system of grace. It's a system of, as we said, karma. There is no grace outside of Jesus. Now, I want you to see this. Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Remember, we're talking about Jesus being Full of grace. Could you say that with me? He is what? He is full of grace. Now go to Colossians 2. I'll put it on the screen as well. It's in your handout. Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Beware. Be careful. Watch out. Lest any man spoil you. Now that doesn't mean spoil like lavish you. It, it literally it means take you away captive, like the spoils of war. Be careful because some would come and they would take you away captive as spoil. Through what? Through what's it say? Philosophy, religious philosophy, spiritual philosophy. We live in a very philosophical day and age, and and the script and when the script this scripture was written in the Greek culture, a very philosophical age. He says, "Be careful, beware, because you can be led into captivity by philosophy and vain deceit." But not just philosophy and vain deceit, but then. After the what? Tradition of men. Would you agree with me that in a sense, when we look at this verse, in a sense we're saying worldly philosophies are dangerous and traditional religion can be dangerous? Because in this, in this passage he's speaking to Gentiles who are caught up in philosophy and he's speaking to Jewish people who are caught up in the traditions of their religion. And he says you need to be careful. Now that doesn't mean all tradition is bad. We're putting it in its context here. There's some biblical tradition, but we're talking about man-made religious tradition. He says, you be careful of that because the world wants to take you and pull you away from Christ and get you caught up in their philosophies and in their traditions, but not after Christ. After the rudiments of the world, that idea of rudiments, that's the basic principles like what we were just talking about. But now look at the contrast in verse number nine. For in him, in who? In Jesus dwells all the, there it is again, the what? The fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse number 10, and ye are, what's it say? Complete in him. You're complete in him. You don't need to go after this philosophy. You don't need to go after this tradition. You don't need to go after this experience because you have all of Jesus and he is full of grace. And if you're a believer, you are full of him. He is full of grace. Let's say more about that. So catch this now. There is no grace outside of Jesus. Complete grace, as we just read, dwells in in Jesus, and now I'm going to give you this last statement, and we'll look at another passage to back it up, but can I give you this this morning? There is only grace in Jesus. There is only grace in Jesus. You say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Ethan. Isn't there righteousness? Isn't there justice in Jesus? Yes, that is absolutely true, but, but friends, if you are in Jesus, what do you receive? Grace and only grace. Because when you are in him, even when he corrects you and even when he corrects me, he's doing it out of his love and his grace. In Christ, if you are a believer and you are in Christ, there is only grace in him. You say, is that theologically accurate? Well, I better back it up with some scripture. Would you say amen? So look at look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I've got that on your handout as well. We're thinking about this fullness of grace. Now, this is speaking to a church that had messed up a lot of things. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians who he had to straighten them out. But he wants them to know that even when he was correcting them, even when he was rebuking them, that God was for them. Look at verse number 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us. Skip down a little bit. It says, he was. it was not yea and nay. In other words, when you heard about Jesus and his attitude for you, his attitude for you wasn't, yes, but no. His attitude wasn't yes and no, but in him was what? Yay. Or we can say it, yes, yes, yes. Verse 20, for all the promises of God In him are? And in him, come on now, and in him? Amen. amen. In him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. The Greek there, you can turn that around, and basically what that says is this. The promises of God in him are, yes, and to the glory of God we all say, Amen. amen. Grace tells me, that god is for me that god is for me why because i'm good no because i am in christ i am in christ and he is full of grace he is full of grace So, so get this the father is pleased with the son, the son is pleased with the father, right? Jesus is full of grace. He is, he, we talked about this last night, the, last week, the only begotten in the bosom of the father, that there's this oneness with father and son. The, the, the father has only love for Christ. Christ has all of grace in him. If I'm a believer, I am in Christ. So the father can only be pleased with me because of Christ. So even when he corrects me, It's because he is for me. He is full of grace. And that brings us to the second emphasis back in John's gospel. Not only is he full of grace, but it says we have received grace for grace. Of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. Now, if you do your devotions and you read through this, you might just kind of skip over that, and grace for grace, and grace for grace, and grace for grace. But stop. Every word is intentionally put there by the Holy Spirit. You believe that? That every word is there for a reason. So think about this. What he's saying here is not simply that God gives us some grace. The picture is this. Just when you think you're running out of grace, what is there? Oh, look there's more grace. There's more grace. And he gave grace. And just when you think, boy, I must be, oh, I must be about out of it by now. He says, no, because it literally means grace in the place of grace. He doesn't wear out. And aren't we like that sometimes? We try to show grace to one another. We try to show grace to our children. We try to show grace to our coworkers. We're just trying our best to show grace, show grace. And it feels like, boy, Sometimes people push us to our limit and we think we've shown enough grace that we can and it pushes us over the edge and they don't get a lot of grace. But that never happens with the Lord Jesus Christ. You never can push him beyond the limit of his grace because he gives grace for grace. More than enough. Can we say it this way? More than enough for whatever life brings. There is more than enough grace for whatever life brings. 2 Peter 1 and 1 through 4. This is an important verse that reminds us of this grace for grace. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Who would that be? Who's that? I see it. Say it. Who is it? If you're a believer, that's me. To those who've obtained like precious faith with us, Through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, Peter introduces his letter with these next words. He says, What? Grace. Grace Grace and peace be multiplied. Is that kind of like maybe grace for grace? Multiplied grace? I'm not a math expert. But I know you get a lot faster, you get get a lot further with multiplication than you do with addition. I've learned that much. And he says here, he says here that the grace, he says, I want God's grace to be multiplied in your life. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Whatever situation you face, Whatever comes into your life, wherever we stand, the truth is this, that when it says we've received grace for grace, when it says we've received multiplied grace, God's grace is more than enough for whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. All things that pertain unto life and godliness. And that comes through the knowledge of Him that hath called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. There's another word that talks about abundance. It's not just that he gives us great promises. They're not just, I love this. He doesn't just give us promises, but he gives us precious promises. But they're not just precious promises. They are great and precious promises. You know where I'm going next, right? And they're not just great and precious promises, but we can say nothing else, but they are, hang on now, exceeding great and precious promises. Why? Because he gives, say it with me, grace for grace. Grace for grace. That ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God's grace, we've received enough grace, enough grace for anything we could face in life. But not only that, we've received enough grace to cover our sin. Are you thankful for that? Enough grace to cover our sin. There's more words that talk about an abundance of grace that are found in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, this has some other parallels about the law that we saw in in John 1 as well, but look what it says. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law entered that the offense might abound. That's interesting, isn't it? The law entered that the offense might abound. That means this. The more you know the law of God, the guiltier you look. The guiltier you feel. The more offensive we become. The more you know right from wrong, the more you realize which side of the equation are you usually on. The wrong side. The law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, Grace did. Come on now, what? Much more abound. I'll have to do it again. There wasn't just grace, but it abounded. And it didn't just abound more, but it abounded much more. Listen, there's so many people, they fall into that trap, and I'll, I'll wrap it up with this in just a few minutes, but they fall into that trap. Remember what, with the scripture we read earlier? Don't be deceived, don't be drawn away. There's people that think, well, I've just sinned too much. I've sinned too much for the grace of God. And I've met many people that say, well, you know what? I would come to church. I would read my Bible. I would do those things. But I need to, I need to straighten out some areas in my life first. How many of you had anybody say that, or maybe you've said that before? That I just need to, I just need to get this right and that right, and then I'll, I'll, I'll come to church, or then I'll live the Christian life. Well, if that's your mentality, you've missed the point of Christianity altogether. Because the point is this, the more you do try to get things right in your life, the more you'll realize how wrong you are. And that's when you realize, I need grace. And I don't just need a little grace, I need a lot of grace. And I just don't need a lot of grace, but I need much more lots of tons of grace. I need it. Because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And by the way, Christian, that is not just for the moment that you trusted Christ as your Savior. God's grace is still here to cover your sin today. And if you've begun to wander or you've strayed a little bit off the path, it's not law that you need, it's the grace of God that you need. To Well, how do you know? Because that's the next enough here. It's more than enough for whatever life brings. It's more than enough to cover my sin, but then it's enough to set me free. Because we just read in in Romans chapter 5, where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. And then some people might have this cavalier attitude. And they might have the Romans, the very next verses are in Romans chapter 6. And they might have the attitude that says, well, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, if all this abounds, I mean, if there's more than enough grace to cover my sin, and the more that I sin, the more grace comes, why don't I just go live in sin? And Paul answers this question with the the most strong language that exists in the Greek. We don't have an exact translation in English, so what they said was this. The answer, the strongest answer you can come up with is verse number two. God forbid. No way. No way. How shall we... How shall, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Skip down to verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion, Over him. What is the point? The point is, yes, there's abounding grace to cover my sin. But then when I do sin, it's the grace of God that's going to give me victory over it. It's the grace of God that's going to change and transform my life. It's the grace of God that's going to set me free from habits, addictions. It's the grace of God that's going to set me free from attitudes like anger and wrath. It's going to be, it's not more law, it's more grace that I need to set me free the grace of God and we have not received some grace we've received in Christ a full grace and grace for grace which then brings us to the last emphasis of the passage so thinking back remember we said we're looking at the idea that Jesus is full of grace and truth that we have received grace for grace And then verse 17 says this, For the law was given by Moses, but now he links these two things together. Grace and what? Truth. Grace and truth. You see, what what is this idea grace and truth? Everything we've just spoken about so far, the grace of God the abundant, abounding, matchless grace of God displayed in in that manger and displayed in the life of Christ, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? In fact, we have a word for that. It's called the word gospel, which means good news, almost too good to be true. But the scriptures want to remind us that this grace that is promised, this undeserved, unlimited favor that God wants to bestow on us, We can count on it because Jesus is not just full of grace, but he is full of truth. He is truth. It's Christ did not just speak the truth. He didn't just tell the truth, but he is the truth. Jesus is the truth. As you think about truth, the song that was sung by the group talked about, Into the chaos you came. And we live in this world system of karma. Our cosmologists tell us that we began in chaos and the universe exists as some sense of order that came from chaos. But the fact is this, it's only truth, real truth, that can bring certainty to confusion. It's only real truth that can bring order to to chaos. Does the world seem a little chaotic sometimes? Just turn on your favorite news station and chaos is all around us. Uncertainty is all around us. And truth brings meaning to the cosmos. Understanding who I am, where I'm going, what my purpose is. And that's why Jesus could say, and this is also in John's gospel, in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Grace that is full, grace that is abounding, but grace that is oh so true. You can count on it. You can rely on it. You can depend on it because it's not the stuff of fairy tales. It's not the platitudes of Hallmark cards that, oh, things will work out. Things will get better. There's a brighter day. It's not any of that. It is a grace. It is a hope that is anchored in the certainty of Jesus Christ, who is the eternal way, truth, and life. It's the kind of thing you can stake your life on and your eternity. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The law was given by Moses. The last verse in this these passages today. The law was given by Moses But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So, here's the question. That brings it all home now. How do we access this grace? How do we access this grace? You say, boy, I would like that grace. I would like to live with that kind of certainty. I would like to live with that kind of Assurance. I would like to live with that. Well, for all of history, and you can study this thread through the scriptures, but this morning you'll have to take my word for it, but you can do a whole study on this. But throughout all of history, men have found two ways to approach God. Two ways to approach God. You say, well, I thought there's a whole lot more religions in the world than two. Not really. They have different names in different rituals but for all of history there have only been two ways that people have approached god by works or we'll say law and by grace through faith those are the only two ways starts starts in the very beginning with adam and eve i'll give you one example adam and eve they sin in the garden immediately they see their nakedness and they do some works and what are the works they what do they do they get their needle and thread and they sew together yeah the aprons of leaves to cover themselves and god says no i'll shed the blood of the animal and clothe you in the skins of the animal god says i will provide a way and they say we will provide a way but god says your way isn't good enough let me show you my grace two approaches, works and grace. And listen, those two things, works and grace, are mutually exclusive. The dangerous thing in our day and age is both believers and unbelievers alike have concocted an evil mix of grace and works. And they've taken two completely mutually exclusive Principles, and they've tried to blend them together. And they say, and I've spoken with religious people even that say this, well, here's how I see it. I'll do a little, and then God will make up for the rest. Right? This is an attitude of people. I'll do a little, and then I'll trust God's grace to make up the rest. Those two things are are mutually exclusive. You say, well, are you sure? Look at this reference. The most important thing for us to realize about God's grace is that, well, Romans eleven six. 6. And if by grace, then it is what? No more of works. Otherwise, if you could combine these two things, grace just wouldn't be... Grace just wouldn't be grace. But if it's by works, then it can't be grace because then work is no longer work. They're mutually exclusive. In fact, I need help with this. Aaron, can you give me your chair? Would you give up your chair for me? What a guy. He would give up his very seat for me. He could bring this chair up real quick. This is the best. I saw this illustration years and years and years ago. And this, I think, was the best illustration that I ever saw about this. All right, thank you. What a bro. All right. So... What am I doing right now? You guys are sharp. What am I doing right now? I'm sitting. I'm gonna make a, a quick adjustment. You ready? What am I doing right now? Okay, so we've got this down. so if I ready? Am I sitting yet? No, no. Not sitting yet. Why? Because they're mutually exclusive. You cannot be sitting and standing. That's what the. Go ahead, put that uh, that Romans verse up one more time. This is the point. If it's by grace, then it can't be by works. Because by definition, by definition, if I'm standing, I sure can't be. And if I'm sitting, I sure can't be, because they're mutually exclusive. They don't exist at the same time. This is law and grace. This is, this is works and faith. It can't be both. It can't be combined. There's no sit-stand mode in this. It is what it is. But there's a lot of people that their approach to God is, they're somewhere, they, they think they're here. They're like, well, I'm, I'm, oh, maybe there's leaning. We could do leaning, right, a little bit, but even then you're not standing if you're leaning, right? It's one or the other. And, and the, message of, the message of religion has been you stand on your own two feet and prove to God, you stand on your own two feet by works and prove to God how worthy you are of his love. And that plays out in the karma system of our day. Prove to God that you're religious enough. Prove to God that you're good enough. Or let's say you've already become a Christian. You've trusted Christ by faith at the beginning. You fall into this trap as you struggle through your Christian life. And you say, hey, stand up. Stand up and and, and prove what you can do for Jesus now that you're a believer. But Jesus says, listen, you can't be standing and sitting at the same time. You can't be earning and trusting at the same time. It's one or the other. We're either trusting his grace or we're earning by our own efforts. So the question is for you and the question is for me, where are you this morning? The whole point of John's God, the whole point of the manger is that grace came. What we need came in Jesus. That's the whole point of all of this. A full grace, an abounding grace. So where are you? First off, if if there has never been a time in your life where you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you need to make that decision. You cannot earn your salvation and receive your salvation at the same time. The Bible says that we are saved by laying aside our own efforts and trusting in Christ alone, that His death and His resurrection his grace is my only hope for salvation. Has there been a time in your life, and it doesn't matter, you say, well, I go to church, or I was baptized, or I took communion, I did, earning, 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 standing, 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 standing. Has there ever been a time in your life where you repented of your way and said, Jesus, I am only trusting you now. I'm only trusting you. If that has never happened in your life, make that decision right now. Right now, whether you're in the room with us or if you're watching on the video today, if you've never received Christ by faith, do that today. Say, Ethan, how do I do it? It's really just a matter of your heart, transferring your trust. I no longer trust myself. I trust in you, Jesus. You could phrase it in a prayer, something like this. You could say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again for me and I trust you as my Savior. In your heart right now, you can pray something simple like that. Jesus, no longer do I trust myself. All of my trust is in you. Make that decision this morning. But what about those who are believers? What about those you have? You did, there was a time in your life where you received Christ by faith. Do you sometimes fall back into that trap thinking, well, I'm going to earn God's pleasure with me. I'm going, to, I'm going to prove to God. That's not what it's about. It's about just, last week we talked about just basking in His love. Today we think about just basking in His grace. It doesn't mean we go out and live however we want. It means that God, if there's any changing that's going to happen in my life, it's got to be you doing the changing. It's got to be your power transforming me. So you may need to make a decision this morning as a Christian, to say to give an area over to him and say, Lord, I've been trying to have victory in my life in this area, but I realize I've been trusting in my own strength and my own abilities when you've given me super, abounding, amazing, much more grace. You've got enough. It's all in Jesus. It's not in us. It's in him. Could we bow our heads for prayer this morning? We'll come to a quiet time. We'll sing in just a moment to conclude our service with a with a final hymn. But before any music plays, just in the quietness of this moment, just want to present this one last time. Is there anybody listening this morning who would say, Ethan, I don't know if I've ever received his grace. Would you take this quiet moment right now Put your faith in Jesus. Receive His grace. Christians, whatever it is, however God has spoken to you, take a moment at the end of the message right now as Deborah plays the piano. Let's just take a quiet moment in prayer and you speak to the Lord. Let Him speak to your heart. We thank you so much for the great grace that you showed us when you came. We thank you for the grace of the manger. We thank you for the grace of the cross, the, your resurrection. And we thank you for your sustaining grace that walks with us each and every day. Help supposed to walk in that grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.